This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. A Radio.com station. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning. Morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning and welcome on this beautiful first Sunday in March, Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Joining us today are three very special guests. First, Dr. Mark Pochapin, who is the national leader in promoting prevention, screening, and early detection of colorectal cancer. Then, Mr. Greg Colelli, a patient who was diagnosed with colorectal cancer at the age of 38 and has a very special message to share. And our champion, the head coach of Penn's men's basketball, Steve Donahoe, to talk about coaches versus cancer. So let's begin. A very warm welcome to my friend and colleague, Dr. Mark Pochapin, the Schultz Leeds Professor of Gastroenterology and Director of the Division of GI and Hepatology at NYU School of Medicine and NYU Langone Health, who just completed a year as our fearless leader, the President of the American College of Gastroenterology, a national organization with more than 14,000 clinical gastroenterologists and specialists in digestive diseases. He's a highly respected clinician and researcher, and with over 30 teaching awards, and the NYU Langone Health Master Clinician Award. He's an educator, but not just of medical students. As a leader in New York City, he's part of the Colorectal Cancer Control Coalition, and he's part of the National Colorectal Cancer Roundtable, and he aims to educate and engage the community. His compassion was marked with the Humanism in Medicine Award, and he's partnered with TV anchor Katie Quirk in countless presentations to help spread the word. He's also written a book, what Your Doctor May Not Tell You About Colorectal Cancer, and he hosts a weekly national radio broadcast providing valuable health information on Sirius XM Doctor Radio. Are you serious? Hello and welcome, Mark. There's no way I can do your profile justice. Uh, thank you so much, and hello, Philly, my old stomping grounds when I was in college. I love Philadelphia. I love the people there. I love the sports. It sounds like you're going to be interviewing uh, one of my old uh, faves, uh, Penn Basketball. Yes, yes, you're a Penn Quaker. Dr. Pochapin mm-hmm. graduated from Penn, and uh, that makes us brother and sister, I guess cousins. I'm a big five grad, too, so lots of good <laughs> information to share. Well, welcome again, Mark. We're really honored to have you today. Tell us our listeners need to know why is colorectal cancer so important? 
Well, it remains the number two cause of cancer-related death for men and women combined, yet it's one of the most preventable and uh, beatable cancers that we know. And that's the frustrating part, that paradox of it being so preventable and curable, but yet it's still killing so many people, over 50,000 people a year, and we know we can do better. It's just a matter of dealing with it when we're well and really talking about screening. Right. And we're going to define screaming, but I, screening, but I think you said, uh, hit the point, 50,000 deaths. So in a country of 320 plus million, people think, ah, I'm not part of that 50,000. But in perspective, if we hear one in eight women get breast cancer, one in three people over 50, one in two people over 60 get colon polyps. That's our big chance to go in, polyp being a little rounded, benign growth that shouldn't be in the colon. And remove it before it has the chance to grow and become cancer. So let's talk about screening because I think people need to know exactly what that means. Yeah, so this is the big difference with colon cancer and other cancers. So you use breast cancer as an example. When we screen for breast cancer, we're doing mammography and we're looking for a very small cancer, which is much more curable than when it gets bigger and grows further into the body. In colon cancer, we can do a step before that. As you were explaining, the polyp is what we're looking for. A polyp is a benign growth, and by removing the polyp, we never give it the chance of forming cancer. And the best way and the most complete way to look for a polyp is really looking inside the colon with a procedure known as colonoscopy. And a colonoscopy is on, on patients now 45 to 50, starting with they have no other family history. Uh, they have to take a prep the night before, and that's the worst part. As someone who's had a colonoscopy myself, there's no question. That's the tough part because the procedure is done under sedation, and it's both diagnostic and therapeutic. If you find a polyp, you remove it and prevent that polyp from ever becoming cancer. But there are other procedures also, Marion, that people don't realize. There's really no excuse not to get a screening test. There's something as simple as just looking at the stool for microscopic blood, the concept being that a cancer loses a little bit of blood in the stool, and with a very simple test that you do at home with a paintbrush where you could touch the stool with a paintbrush, put it on a card, send the card to the lab you can determine whether or not there may be an increased risk of colon cancer. Now, of course, that test is a two-stage test because if it's positive, then you would need a colonoscopy. Again, coming down to the point why a lot of people choose colonoscopy for the primary test because it could find the polyps. And if a colonoscopy is negative, then you don't have to repeat that for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I think a couple of important points worth repeating are other screening tests, and screening means uh, primary prevention means cigarette smoking can cause lung cancer, though lots of lung cancer comes without any cigarettes in your history. But let's say we know that cigarettes cause lung cancer. Don't smoke. You can avoid lots of lung cancer. We don't know what causes colon cancer. We have trends that we follow, like positive family history or certain age categories. So secondary prevention is screening. We're going to test people because we've looked for four decades at patterns of people since colonoscopy has become available. We know that 50 seems to be a point in time where cases start to occur, but we're learning, we're going to talk about this later, that those trends are changing and we're going to follow them. So a screening test is done. We want to beat the, beat the, the rush. <laughs> we exactly. want to find any little premature critters, pinch them out and call it a day. We don't want any three or four millimeter little bumps in the colon to have a chance to set up shopping malls and condos and take over the planet. No, that's not. And the brilliance is we go in, we take the benign form 
and unlike a mammogram, as you say, finds early cancer. And the the new CT scans look for lung cancer. We're trying to find pre-cancer. Done. Got it. So we talk about the, the ways to test. And I always tell my patients, you think exactly. of your colon as a tunnel. It should be smooth and shiny and no lumps or bumps. If a big 18-wheeler truck is going through a tunnel and there are icicles hanging from the ceiling of the tunnel and the, well, it must be a pretty low tunnel, but, <laughs> and the truck hits those <laughs> icicles, think of a stool passing through and there's a bump on the wall. Blood is the food for cancer. So as you say, some polyps, if they're advanced enough or even cancer, will uh, trickle blood. And that's what we're testing for in the stool. I was talking to somebody uh, in my office the other day who never understood why we look for blood in the stool. So I think if people have that image, they're going to say, oh, that's why I'll do that. Don't you think? I'm never going to be able to look at icicles the same now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, it, when this all began, and, and we we look at the recommendations from American Cancer, there are many options. You can have your stool checked, and even that's more refined. In the beginning, when it was first available to us years ago, it wasn't as specific. It would pick up blood from the rare hamburger you had yesterday. The newer stool tests are more sophisticated, and they look for just human blood. And then there's the newer test. Why don't you tell us about that? Where yeah, the test for the, blood and DNA. Mm -hmm. Right. So we this FIT or fecal immunochemical test looks for the immunochemical assay for human hemoglobin or blood, as you say. Well, added to that now is DNA. So this test is known as Cologuard commercially, but it's the, what we call the multi-targeted test. And it does a better job at finding cancer in the colon, but there's a trade-off there are more false positives, meaning the test may be positive, but actually the colonoscopy does not reveal a cancer. And also, these tests, these stool-based tests, are not so much looking for the polyps, unless they're very large, but looking for early cancer, which is still very effective. So there is a trade-off, but again, the best test is the one that gets done. The Cologuard is a little more expensive, and uh, truthfully, that FIT test, or fecal immunochemical test, FIT, which is just the stool based blood test alone is actually quite good. That's about 70% effective preventing can in finding cancer, and the Cologuard is about 90% effective. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the FIT is doing the heavy lifting in that test. I still try to encourage my patients to go for the, the gusto and get the colonoscopy because if Cologuard misses 8% of cancers, it's expensive and you can't have it for another three years. And so, you know, um, yes, but the best test is the one that gets done. We're seeing some hope in the future for other testing, like the colon capsule. Why don't you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, that's a, that's a capsule. I mean, this is like the American dream, swallow a pill and it gives you the answer. But you still have to take the bowel prep. But we're doing research looking at a camera that you swallow that as it tumbles through the colon would be able to pick up polyps and cancer. And that's getting much better. There may be a blood assay in the future, potentially even a breath test, and even artificial intelligence may be looking over our shoulder for all of these tests to help us find polyps in early cancer. And so people, if they under, want to understand that, by artificial intelligence, cancer cells um, have little fragments, or I should say tumors, sometimes release little fragments of DNA that circulate in our bloodstream. So artificial intelligence might be able to pick up levels of those little fragments or fragments from other cells that are influenced by cancer. This is great information, Mark. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. 
And we're back with Dr. Mark Pochapin from NYU Langone Health. Mark, let's talk about why people aren't getting screened despite all the awareness campaigns and reminders from providers. We're still seeing as many as one in three American adults who don't get screened in any way. Yeah, that's the most frustrating part of this whole thing. As I mentioned, there's this paradox. It's one of the most preventable of all cancers, but it remains the number two cause of cancer-related death. And I think the reason is that you have to go to your doctor when you're well. And the American psyche of healthcare is you go to your doctor when you're sick. And if you wait till you start having symptoms, then we're talking about more advanced disease very often. So you really have to go when you're well as a real screening effort, as a preventative effort to keep us well. We can do so much in medicine to keep us healthy and screening for colon cancer is really one of the prototypes of how we can prevent cancer, particularly cancer that's very common and can be really lethal. Yes, and I see both men and women patients, but when I first started, I was, I'm was i probably the most senior woman in GI in Philadelphia. Um, for the longest time, there was a gap between men and women being screened. Women think it's a man's disease, or I already take time for the mammogram and GYN exam, and I feel fine. I, it can wait another year, et cetera. But I also think the pink campaigns have done beautiful work in getting women to step up and get their mammograms. But indirectly, they make a lot of women think mammogram and done. Am I right about that? Mm -hmm. You're so right. And also women have to know their density of the breast because sometimes they get a mammography and actually have a, a high breast density and they need other type of evaluation. So the key is really owning your own health and taking the um, effort to keep yourself well, both with mammography, but particularly with colorectal cancer, because we don't really think this is something that can happen to us. We think there are all these myths, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. but it can happen to us. It happens to people. Look at uh, Chadwick Boseman. He literally was a superhero. He played a superhero, um, a young African-American actor who was so talented, cut down in his early 40s from colorectal cancer. Yeah, heartbreaking. It can happen. And speaking it can happen. Of which, and that's what's so, it's so tragic. Yeah, it is really tragic because, you, you know, again, we're going back to that tunnel. If your colon is a tunnel, it's expandable. So it can fill with air and even growths and stretch quite a while before you notice any discomfort or change in your pattern. Let's talk about, we said earlier, the, the um, metric used to be age 50 to begin screening. Now we have two big reasons that you'll tell us about why we want to start at a younger age at 45. Well, I think I mentioned Chadwick Boseman. I think he represents both. We're seeing um, higher incidence and mortality in African Americans. And truthfully, we don't really know why, although I suspect a lot of it actually plays into what we've been looking in these social determinants of health, where, you know, actually a colleague of mine, someone who runs our health equity um, new department at NYU, describes it as your zip code being more important in certain cases than your genetic code. Mm -hmm. And that what people eat and the environment they're in and what they're exposed to may be very important in creating uh, higher incidence, meaning new cases and higher mortality, meaning death in um, black Americans. Now, the other thing is that we're seeing younger age groups from all from all people actually start developing colorectal cancer in younger ages even in the 30s and 40s this was something we had not seen before the very good news is that we're really eliminating colon cancer through screening and other efforts in older adults um, ages 55 and over but when we start looking at the younger than 55 age group in particular particularly in the 40s we're seeing 
real increase, four, five, six times as high rates of colorectal cancer. Now, their rates are nowhere as near as the older individuals, but still, it is a little bit alarming to see these rates going up, and we don't really have a good understanding why, but one of the things we're doing to combat that is decreasing the screening age to age 45 from 50. Right. We did that originally for black Americans compared to other groups where we made the recommendation nationally through the GI societies to start at age 45 for black Americans. But now the United States Preventive Services Task Force and all the GI societies are looking to actually drop the age to 45. In fact, the United States Preventive Services Task Force has a draft recommendation recommending age 45 as a starting point. Mm -hmm. And they put that out in October. We're waiting for the final uh, you know, seal of approval to make it definite that everybody over age 45 um, I know I interviewed Dr. Robert Mendelson from Memorial Sloan Kettering a few months ago, and they have a registry of young patient cases there, and I suspect you folks are going to do that, if not already. Mark, let's talk about the PrEP, because we talked about what are the deterrents, what keep people from coming for the, to the table? When the bowel preps began in the 80s, they were a little yucky, two and a half days of laxatism and enemas. And we thought we were so star-worry in the 90s when we came up with Go Lightly. Oh, my goodness. Four liters of something you like to drink. Imagine four liters of something that's not so tasty. Um, but by mid two thousand, yeah. yeah, with the worst name, by the way. I know. It should go be Go Heavily, not Go Lightly. Drink. <laughs> go go. All yeah, the time. that's a nasty <laughs> trick. Um, but then we realized after years of uh, that prep that by splitting it, we're thinking, okay, maybe people are more likely to take it if they could have a little break. And guess what? Tell us, the split prep ended up being more effective. Right. And the thing about the prep, it really is the worst part of the procedure. But if you think about why the prep is necessary, when we look in the colon, People always wonder, how can we do this procedure? How awful. But actually, it's clean. It's about as clean as the inside of your mouth after the bowel prep. We're able to see these really flat polyps that could hide that could be very dangerous down the, down the line. So it's so important to find the polyps, every polyp. I always say that I have a policy of leave no polyp behind when I do a colonoscopy. And by the patients doing the split prep and really following the directions and cleaning out the colon, it allows it um, easier for us to do our job as the endoscopist, but also gives a better exam, a higher quality exam to the patient. Exactly. One little puddle of fluid or even solid could cover a small lesion. You think of like the size of a mole in somebody's face, a tiny polyp like that. And if you say, hey, I didn't see anything, you're good for 10 years or even five years. That's a long time to let a growth uh, stay behind and make trouble. And then there's this new option that we're, that we're looking at. In fact, my colleague, Dave Kastenberg, has done some studies that Instead of uh, prepping the evening before, if you get up really early in the morning and do your bowel prep, split it a little at, say, 5 a.m., a little bit at 9 a.m., and then come in for a 1 o'clock colon, all done. Less loss of sleep the night before, no interference with work the day before. So that's uh, making it a little less unappealing than before. Let's talk about that. Yeah, exactly. I, and, and also, a lot of people want to be first case in the morning. But here, if you do the procedure in the afternoon, say at 1 o'clock, you, know, you could wake up the same time you might wake up to go to work at 5 or 5.30 in the morning, take your first prep, then take the second prep a few hours later, come in for the procedure. So actually, it's a really good option for some people. 
people, particularly if they have a, a late afternoon schedule, ask your doctor about maybe doing a same day prep and doing the first dose early that morning. It is a great option. Let's talk about the screening guidelines because I know we mentioned we want to encourage everybody to start at age 45 waiting for that final approval. And um, family history has a big uh influence on when we tell people to start. Definitely. And so we've been talking about screening guidelines starting age 45 to 50 for average risk. This is very important for people listening. This means that there's no family history of colon cancer or colon polyps in your parents or siblings. It means that you have average risk because you're not at increased risk, which we see in patients who do have family histories. For those who have a family history, they may need to start screening at age 40 or 10 years younger than the youngest member of their family had cancer. So if someone had cancer in your family, say like Chadwick Boseman's family at age 43, you would start screening as 33 as a child of someone like that. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is talk to your doctor because there are genetic syndromes that now with genetic testing might be able to be uncovered and then the specifics might be even different. We know one syndrome, for example, called Lynch, which is one where you often see in multiple generations where people could be very young developing colorectal cancer in their 20s or 30s, but that could be picked up through a blood test. And if that's the case, screening starts in the 20s, but could be really life-saving. And for women, there might be associated endometrial or ovarian cancer. So it's actually really important to know your family history. In addition, you get screening, know your family history because it could be life-saving. Oh, sure. And that's why every year we tweet out you're getting together for Thanksgiving and Christmas, Hanukkah, mm -hmm. New Year's. When everybody's at the table, don't be shy, don't be embarrassed. Learn the family history it could save so many lives. The other important point you made was, Mark, that it's not just a family history of colon, colorectal cancer, but colon polyps. Because I ask right. all my patients, um, any family, any family members have colon cancer no have on colon polyps oh yeah my brother had some but they were just benign they don't know that that's a marker as well because let's say we do a screening exam the first exam on someone and they have no polyps if you have a family history we repeat your exam at five years not 10 years big difference right right Exactly. And the other thing is that the stool test that we were talking about that fit test and that that multi-targeted fit DNA or Oligard test, they're only good for average risk. If there's any family history or even personal history of polyps, that is not the right test because now you're at higher risk and you need a colonoscopy. Very good point. And lastly, with the new diagnosis of colorectal cancer, see an oncologist first because family history might uh, determine that they want to do, they, that your treatment plan would include chemo first or other testing or genetic testing that would put you into a different category of more aggressive or even less aggressive uh, treatment plan. What has we seen of the effect of COVID on screening? I know you've been a leader at your uh, center with COVID, but COVID and screening is really not helping. Well, you know, what happened is, is that everything focused on COVID. So we saw a complete drop off of screening, which could really lead to thousands, tens of thousands, potentially of cases that might be missed large polyps or cancer. But now that we know how to test and we're getting vaccinated and all healthcare professionals have the opportunity to be vaccinated, we're seeing screening 
coming back, particularly with colon uh, with colonoscopy. But previously, it was really tough, and we were doing a little bit more stool-based testing. But now I think we're back. People should not be afraid of getting COVID from their screening center. We know how to do it. It's probably one of the safest places to be now in this pandemic. Yeah, and I know that the American Cancer Society did say just from early March of last year through June, possibly 18,000 cases were either missed or delayed. Delayed is not good either. So please listen to us uh, out there and get some form of testing. Let's take a little break, Mark, and we'll be right back with more on colorectal cancer screening and prevention. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. And we're in our final segment with Dr. Marco Chapin, Chief of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at NYU Langone. Mark any news related to colorectal cancer prevention? Yes, there's always interesting things. Our technology is getting better, helping us do even a higher quality exam using AI. We talk about bowel preps, but there may be also things that we can do that are even beyond what we currently have in our technology. For example, there might be a way to test the blood for um, colorectal cancer. There may be a breath test that we could use. And in terms of what people can do, one is that lifestyle is very important. What they eat, keeping fit, exercising, all of that seems to reduce the risk of colorectal cancer. And there is some interesting research that's been ongoing with aspirin and aspirin-related medications decreasing the risk of colorectal cancer and polyps. And although I wouldn't recommend aspirin necessarily to treat colorectal cancer, if people are on aspirin, it may lead a beneficial protective effect. And of course, always talking to your doctor if this is something that would be right for you if there's an increased family risk. Um, there are other things. I mean, there's even potentially a vaccine that's being developed. And this is something you and I talked about before, that this protein, this GCC protein, which is really on the lining of the a lot of gastrointestinal organs, may be something that an adenovirus, like we're using for COVID, can be used to actually target proteins that might be involved in colorectal cancer. Could not only be colon cancer, but esophageal, pancreatic, stomach, all of the GI organs. So there's a lot of exciting things down the, down the road. But the most important thing is to use the technology we have now. Talk to your doctor about getting screened, whether it's a stool test, whether it's a colonoscopy. The best test is the one that gets done. But look on the future. In the future, we're going to have other things as well, but don't wait for it. Always. And what a beautiful message. I will say, um, I have to give kudos to our Jefferson colleague, Dr. Scott Waldman, who has spent 20 right. years developing this vaccine and, and making good progress. And so our listeners understand it's a bait and switch kind of thing. The, the basic adenovirus that causes pink eye or so many common colds has little markers, markers on its surface as Mark, you just said GCC, it's a protein that is similar to markers on colon cancer tumor cells. So if you vaccinate somebody with these lookalike uh, proteins and our immune system says, mm, I'm going to build up soldiers against that. If colon cancer comes your way, the soldiers are ready to get to uh, erase it. So all these things are so fascinating and, um, and hopeful. And that's what we, that's what you and I both try to do. As I mentioned earlier, you have a, a show on Sirius uh, Radio, and 
just sharing this information, if one person hears our conversation, if one more person goes and gets screened, we've saved a life. Exactly. And Marianne, that's why I love speaking to Philadelphia, my old stomping grounds, and love talking about this because one person can change everything. And I really believe if you save one life, you save the world. People don't recognize how life-saving this message is. And if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for the people you love. And I think too, Mark, we have to be leaders as um, in the lay community, examples, that's what I'm trying to say. I had my colonoscopy. You know, We should make stickers that say that. I had my colonoscopy <laughs> yeah. this week. I had mine too. Oh gosh, I had a couple of weeks ago. What a delightful afternoon of sleep. More please. <laughs> anyway, Mark, what a pleasure to have you. You are a beacon of light and hope. Keep up the good work and I hope we have you back again soon. Same, Marianne. I hope to get you on my show as well. All right. Thank you again, Mark. And now I'm very happy to welcome Mr. Greg Colelli. Greg, welcome. Uh, I'm going to share with our listeners that you are very kind to join us. You're a patient in our GI group at Jefferson with the fantastic Dr. Anthony Infantilino, who's taken beautiful care of so many patients. And I know we both love and admire him. So, Greg, thank you once again for joining us, and we're going to hear your story about your diagnosis with colorectal cancer. Thanks for having me. Thank you. How old were you when you had your first colonoscopy, Greg? I was uh, 38 years, actually, on my 38th birthday was my first colonoscopy. Oh, that's some way to celebrate. Yes, yes, it was. Tell us what led to, why did you start at that young age? Well, there's a family history uh, on my father's side. Uh, so him and uh, I believe his three brothers and one sister uh, all had either colon or uh, um, um, urinary tract, uh, not urinary, um, gynecolo- uterine? uterine, I'm sorry, uterine uh, cancers, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. And so you were 38 and how did you decide to go through with it? Did you say, oh, I better check, or did somebody encourage you? Uh, well, I, I always knew that I, I had to start fairly young. Um, in retrospect, I probably should have started earlier. Um, but I had my, my older sister and a co-worker kept pushing me to go and go, so I finally, I finally went. And what happened at that first testing? Well, um... I didn't have any any signs or symptoms uh, before I went, so I didn't expect you know anything of it. Uh, and I went and had you know went through the, the prep, and um, um, I came out of the uh, colonoscopy, and uh, and Dr. Infantilino informed me that you know I had to have surgery and uh, as soon as possible because there was a you know large mass in my colon. And. What were you thinking? Did you think you were in a bad movie or it was it's probably so hard to believe you just told us I had no symptoms, no signs. Um, exactly. What went through um, your mind? I, I, I didn't know what to think. I, I looked at Dr. Infantilino like like you had three heads. Uh, you know, it was hard oh. to believe. Uh, but you know, he showed me he showed me photos of, of, of the tumor and it was just you know, it was devastating at the time. Right. I'm sure. And so you had surgery. Thank the good Lord. It was focal. It had not uh, gone into any other part of your uh, 
belly and the the surgery removed the growth and you were a free man and i know under the um, the good care of Dr. Vantolino. You had your repeat colonoscopies on a yearly basis and on and on. And tell us what happened after that. Uh, well, I had colonoscopies for, uh, practically every year, so 20, mm -hmm. 20 or so. Um, I had one, I believe, in 2019 um, that showed an abnormal uh, polyp. Um, and subsequently, I had genetic testing um, so they decided to uh, remove the rest of the colon as a precaution. Wow. And, I mean, how often does lightning strike twice? But your genetic testing told us that you had Lynch syndrome, and we're going to talk about that in a minute after our conversation. But um, Lynch syndrome, as, as we both know, is the most common cause of inherited colorectal cancer because most colon cancer is spontaneous or sporadic, as we call it in the GI world. It, it doesn't attach itself to a family history. In 80% of cases, the person has no relatives with colon cancer. But um, this is the most common one of the inherited, and it increases a family's risk for and a patient's risk for colon cancer and uterine cancer. Um, and the lifetime risk varies from 12% to 90%, depending on the sex of the patient and the type of genetic change. Um, but we know to suspect this, if one or more people in your family are found to have colon or uterine cancer under age 50, right, Greg? Correct. Uh, yes. Or if you have people over the age of 50 that get a new colon cancer or uterine, but there are other family members. And I mean, you know, look at the family tree, it's, it's a polka dot it with other cases or if these cancers are in two generations so you told us your dad had colon cancer and he had three brothers affected and his sister or two brothers and his sister had uterine cancer Correct. and then um we think about that when we see a family history so i know when i whenever i see a patient i always say does anyone in your family have colon polyps or colon cancer or ovarian or uterine cancer and that triggers us to to go looking and maybe test somebody at a younger age how has your diagnosis changed the way you um, interact with customers in your pharmacy? You have three pharmacies. You're a busy guy. Tell us, um, how, well, does that, how has that changed the way you talk to your patient, your customers? Well, it gives me a little bit of uh, expertise in the field, so to speak. Uh, I can uh, reassure them that the procedure is, is, uh, is a very simple procedure, that the prep it can be uh, annoying, <laughs> um, but it, it just it helps, and um, I, I can take the edge off, off my patients, um, letting them know, you know exactly what to expect and, and what's going to happen and, and that type of thing. And I think that's really helpful to people because you can say, look at me, I'm here, we found it, I, I'm ahead of the game, and it's all good. And for people that sort of turn that wrinkle their nose at the at the idea of a prep, it is annoying. You used a very sweet word to describe it, but it beats surgery and chemo and radiation. Um, so, what's the final message you have for our listeners? Mm -hmm. uh, final message is just go get tested. Uh, if, if there is family history, yeah. go get tested as soon as possible. Uh, and if there's not, I'm not sure if the age is 50 or 45 now, but as, as you know, just go get tested. It's um, it, it's it's so treatable if if they catch it. So please go get tested. Yes. 
Yes, and know your family history and come to your pharmacy to get your prep. Come to uh, uh, Packer Avenue or Broad Street Pharmacy. And I want to mention that Lynch syndrome, if you do have young people in your family under 50 with uterine or colon, learn the family history, ask about testing, because it also increases risk of ovarian, stomach, pancreas, kidney, other areas, even sometimes prostate. So, Greg, you are a brave and kind man to join us. You have helped so many people by reminding them to get screened even before you have symptoms or signs and know your family history. God bless. Stay well, Greg. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers of America. When needed, call RCA 1-888-RECOVERY. champion coach steve donahue and coaches versus cancer i call this segment a slam dunk coaches versus cancer a program which began with norm stewart former head coach of the university of missouri's men's basketball cancer survivor and member of the national association of basketball coaches he challenged fans to pledge a dollar amount for every three-pointer his team made during the season the American Cancer Society joined with the NABC in 1993, creating a nationwide effort uniting coaches across the country to bring help and hope to people facing cancer. Today, we welcome Steve Donahue, the head coach of men's basketball at the University of Pennsylvania. He has led the Quakers to record-breaking seasons, been named Ivy League Coach of the Year, and applauded as one of the winningest Ivy League coaches in their history but he still finds time to join Coaches Versus Cancer. Welcome, Coach. Doctor, thanks for having me on. It's a, really a pleasure to be with you. Oh, I'm a big five sister. You can call me Marianne. All right, Marianne. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, what would you say is the mission of Coaches Versus Cancer? Listeners should know. Well, I think you, you really touched on a lot of it with Coach Stewart, but more than for 25 years now, uh, with a collaboration with uh, the National Association of Basketball Coaches, um, we united coaches and fans nationwide to help the American Cancer Society defeat a common enemy that we all hate, and that's cancer. Yeah. So can you tell us about some of the activities and the events that happened through the year, especially the upcoming ones? Well, the upcoming ones are going to be virtual, as you could imagine. I would love for people to, to find tickets or sponsorship. They can find all the information about what we're doing on www.phillycvc.org and, and our next big event is the uh, tournament tip-off breakfast it's sponsored by acme markets it's a two-day event on the monday after selection sunday march 15th and tuesday march 16th at 8 a.m guests get to fill out a collaborative bracket here from the philly six coaches and special guests, uh, Joe Lenardi, who everyone knows is uh, our local bracketologist for college basketball, and Seth Greenberg from ESPN. Uh, they'll be involved in helping us uh, answer some questions uh, that the audience will have for the panel. Tickets are $50 for access to both days. 
And that's always such a fun event. It, it's usually held at the Palestra. But next year, we'll be back at the Palestra next year. And it's it's a festive time of the year. It's after daylight savings time, isn't it? So it's a little warmer, a little closer to spring, near St. Patrick's yeah. Day. And I know that the gala is coming up this year. Uh, you mentioned mentioned um, Joe Lenardi, a Hawk grad. And, and then your honoree at the gala this year is Dan Hilferty, another Hawk, right? Former CEO of Independence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're going to be honoring Joe at our, excuse me, Dan Hilfrey at our gala, which is sponsored by Independent Blue Cross on Thursday, April 22nd. It's usually an incredible event, and obviously it's going to be virtual, but you can still find the tickets. We'd love for people to, to be a part of the event. PhillyCVC.org is the way to get tickets for that. I, I forgot to mention, Marianne, that we're doing, uh, we're going to host some pregame uh, to each of the tournament games that our Philly Six teams are in this tournament. So love to join us on Zoom. You can find that information on the website as soon as the games are announced. Beautiful. And we're all going to cheer for our buddies from Villanova who are in the March Madness because we're all in this together. We represent Philly. And before I say goodbye, can you sing us a few bars of Fight on Pennsylvania? I know it was written by two <laughs> Penn freshmen in 1923, which means pretty soon it's going to be 100 years old. I can't sing anything, let alone that. I don't know that. I do hear it all, all and I'm, oh. I'm quite embarrassed that I can't sing Oh, it. it's sorry. okay. What a great tradition. Red and blue, <laughs> we're with you. Fight on for Penn. I love it. Well, thank you for joining uh, us, Coach. What great. a treat. Well, thanks you for having me, and I hope everyone can help us out this year with our fight against cancer. And I, I appreciate all that you do. Well, thank you. I know uh, with this radio show for the awareness. Well, thank you. I know now more than 500 Division One, Two, II, and Three college coaches, more than 100 high school coaches, all with coaches with cancer, and raised 40 million dollars to date with their life-saving mission to stop cancer. We salute you, Coach Steve Donahue, and the Coaches Versus Cancer are real champions this week, and we want you to help the coaches support this fight against cancer. Visit cancer.org is the website for the American Cancer Society that will take you to Coaches Versus Cancer. You can help in the fight against cancer. March is Colon Cancer Awareness Month. Look for buildings across the city and beyond to shine in blue. Join the Blue Lights campaign. Put a strand of blue lights on the front of your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Share the message. Stop colon cancer. Get screened. Send us a photograph of you in wearing blue or of your lights on your home or business. Send your photos to info at bluelightscampaign.com. That's info at bluelightscampaign.com. And when you're hanging your blue lights, keep it here for the sounds of Sinatra. Tune in next week, Dr. Mary Stevens, the mother of a child with Down syndrome. She devotes her medical practice to caring for adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And the remarkable story of Katie Keating, who feels blessed to share the love of her 10 children the youngest of whom has Down syndrome. Thanks for listening, and always remember that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.